everyone. I'm Matt Tanner, Head of Developer Relations at MOSIP and your host for today. Welcome to the From Vision to Venture podcast. wins and challenges in the startup space today. Every episode, we'll talk to different founders to discover some of the strategies that they've used on their journey from being an early stage startup or a little bit later stage. Whether you want to hear more about how to manage life as a founder of a startup or raise a round of investment, this is the podcast for you. With that said, let's dive right into the episode. Hey everyone, welcome to the Vision to Venture podcast. Today we've got James Hurst from Tyke joining us and he's going to give us a bit of background on Tyke and himself and then we're going to dig into some of those great founder questions that we've been looking forward to such as, you know, some significant problems that you faced or challenges and kind of how you solve those. And then we're also going to dig into a couple of tips and tricks for other founders or aspiring founders that you've learned that you'd like to pass out to others um, that are listening into this podcast. So James, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, there's a little bit of a time difference between the two of us, but I'm really happy that you're able to jump on. Okay. Thank you, Matt. It's great to be here. Awesome. So in this first two minutes here, since we're going to try and limit everything to about 10 minutes, in the first two minutes, let's cover a few things. So the first thing that I want to chat about is who you are, a little bit of background on yourself, and then I'd love to hear a little bit of an intro on Tyke and some of the problems that you're tackling over at Tyke. Sure. Okay. Thanks, Matt. Well, I'm uh, James Hurst. I'm co-founder of Tyke. Uh, I'm based here in London in the UK. Um, background, uh, I'm a, a law school dropout. I managed less than a year at law school. Uh, when I, found it a little bit um, restrictive, a little bit boring. Uh, and in parallel to that, I'd learned how to use a dial-up modem because it was uh, the 1990s. And I found a dial-up internet company who would take me on as a junior while I figured out what I wanted to do with my life and pretty quickly realized what I wanted to do with my life was work with the internet because it was pretty exciting. Uh, so I launched a web design agency in the UK, um, ran that for a few years, doing uh, music festivals and online video and eventually went on to be the director of a digital consultancy in London, which is where I met my co-founder, Martin Boer, and we later founded Tyke together. Uh, so that's how I ended up uh, chief operating officer of Tyke. Awesome, awesome, yeah. And uh, what we'll look at next is, is like, what exactly is Tyke tackling? So, I mean, being familiar with Tyke, I know lots about it, um, but uh, for those who are unfamiliar with Tyke, what kind of space are you working in right now, and what are the, the main challenges that, that you feel like Tyke is tackling? Well, we, we've, been, um, we've been trading for about seven years now, um, but I think it's really useful to understand why we got started, because that really tells the story of what Tyke is, is trying to tackle. Um, my co-founder, Martin, at the time, was trying to build a load testing platform, 
Uh, and his idea was to, to build something that was multi-cloud, that was containerized, that was auto-scaling, that was very resilient. Um, and his, his hypothesis was that by building a load testing platform of that type, he'd have a technical advantage, which would give him a commercial advantage, and he could take a bit of that market share. And this was, I guess, 2013, 2014, when all of those terms, containerization and Docker and multi-cloud was brand new, cutting edge. I mean, that, that was just a roster of buzz terms. Um, and to do that, he realized he needed to build everything API first. Um, and at the time, there was no platform that helped him do that. Everything that had been built to, to deal with APIs had been built for telcos and banks and these big organizations dealing with really big regulation. Nothing that really respected the world of cloud, of, of containers, of developing fast and scaling quickly. So he built his own uh, API management layer. He built his own API gateway, which he made open source, and then built some code around it to, to manage it, to monetize it, to, uh, to, to monitor it. Um, anyway, a long story short, the, the, the load testing business didn't go anywhere. It was a, a very sucky business because it's all about very tight margins. And no matter what technical advantage you have, there are some behemoths in that space. And he shuttered that business. But the open source gateway hit at the right time because he wasn't the only person who was looking to build products, businesses, services that were API first, uh, were, were built for this uh, cloud-native world, as it's now called, where everything is containerized, everything can move seamlessly and scale seamlessly across clouds. Um, and so it just drove adoption. And, and pretty soon we saw banks and big retailers and big media companies, telcos, the people who were using the old legacy system moving on to, onto ours. And that's when we that's when we launched Tyke. And so Tyke has continued to do the same thing. Tyke has continued to be a platform that enables engineers, developers, architects to build resilient, performant, secure API infrastructure and allows API product owners to, to take an API first product and take it to market, uh, get it out there, get it consumed, get it, um, uh, get it managed and, and make money off it. Um, and so that's where Tyke came from. Um, and it's, it's a great place to be because APIs really are just eating the internet. Everything is API driven and uh, we get to work on some really interesting use cases. Awesome, that's a great background for us. Um, so based on that, you know, you've, you talked about how Tyke has scaled up. Um, in that scaling, I'm sure you've come across a few more than significant challenges, you know, as uh, as as many of in, many of us in the startup space know, um, it's not without kind of its its pitfalls. What would you say, whether it's from the kind of the inception of Tyke through to now, what would you say is one of the more significant challenges that you faced as a founder? This could be a personal challenge that you faced, you know, as, as in that business, or it actually could be something that you faced as a business as well. Uh, okay. Uh, well, I guess as a, as a founder, every day is just it's just challenge after challenge after challenge, and, and that in itself is a is is a, is a big thing to get to grips with. You're, you're constantly being challenged, and, and that's um, that takes a degree of uh, mental resilience and a support network around you to to, to navigate that over time. Um, but I think something that's probably applicable to to anyone who's looking at um, scaling a business right now is. Um, it's very difficult to instill, develop, and maintain um, a culture within a business. And uh, culture is a misused word sometimes, I think, within businesses, but it's so important. Um, I think uh, the, the culture of a, a business um, dictates how people 
respond in the face of adversity. It, it dictates how people uh, progress and innovate and collaborate. The culture is central to all of that. And yet it's a very intangible thing. And I, I think it, it's often, um, culture is often seen as, a, as, as, I don't know, the, 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 the relaxed uh, dress code in a, in a business or the fact that the business goes out for a few beers after work or maybe they have a, a ping pong table in the basement or whatever. Um, but, but actually, we, we're a remote first business. So I'm in London and my co-founder is in Auckland, New Zealand. We are antipodes. We couldn't be further apart on the globe if we tried. Um, and our team is spread across 24 different countries. We're on every continent in every time zone. So we rely heavily on culture to enable people to get things done, to know how to collaborate, to know how to deliver results. Because um, we don't have someone sat next to all of our teams in all of these places telling them how to do it. They, ha they have to make those decisions themselves and culture is what guides it. Now, our definition of culture we took from some smart people at um, Harvard Business Review, I think, um, is uh, it's how people respond when the manager isn't in the room. And, and, and if you dig into that, you, you realize that a lot of it comes down to access to information and what level of comfort people have with uh, taking autonomous decisions. Some companies restrict a lot of information, very command and control, everything's by rote, everything's by checklist, everything is on rails, and that's the culture of the business and it delivers results. Other cultures, such as ourselves, because we're asynchronously working, because we're default remote, we rely actually on a lot of transparency, a lot of visibility of all the business metrics because someone could be uh, waking up in the morning in, in, in Colombia or Nigeria or Singapore and have a customer question. We don't want them to have to wait until someone else in their team wakes up in eight hours time. We want them to take a decision and take a good decision. So building a culture like that, making sure it's understood by people and delivering it through um, tangible policies and information sharing and backing people in, um, in, in when they act the way you want them to act it is really important and i think it gets overlooked i think it gets seen as oh it's a it's a it's a people thing it's an hr thing the really important thing is the spreadsheet but actually culture central to all of this so that's been a real challenge for us because we are default remote and our culture has evolved over time but it's um it's something we spend a lot of time thinking about and is probably the the thing that occupies most of the, the founders time is is the culture developing well is the culture developing results and if not how do we adjust it how do we tweak it gotcha no that's great now one thing that that i really like about tyke is this um this idea of, I believe, if I recall correctly, radical responsibility, where mm. everyone really is is responsible for their output, and I think that's a great, I think that's a great response to this type of challenge, right? Where making sure that things that everyone is working in the way that they want to work, um, but also making sure that the way that they're working is delivering the results that they'd like. Yeah, I think you have to be very intentional in the way that you um, you describe these things and you set these things out because that isn't for everybody. Not everybody wants radical responsibility in their role. Some people actually prefer to have a little less radical responsibility because it can be quite confronting. It can be quite stressful. It puts a lot of um, onus on, on yourself. But for some people, it's ideal and it helps them flourish. And so right the way from... The recruitment process, if you're clear on the kind of culture you're trying to build, 
and the kind of uh, working practices that um, will support that culture, then it helps you hire the right people so that you don't have people um, uh, causing friction against that culture. Um, and, and radical responsibility is, is um, a term we use that we try to call that out. We try to make it very clear to people that um, in the same way that we don't measure the, the hours you work, we don't measure where you work, uh, we completely trust you to be responsible to deliver the results that we need to deliver in the same way that there's that total trust in that. What comes with that is total responsibility as well. If you're going to work a certain number of hours, a certain working pattern on certain days, then it's on you to make sure the results come out. It's not on someone else. And I think um, examples like that that you can put out, you can explain to people clearly when they join, means that the, the culture can can kind of flourish and it's not just a uh, what, what you sometimes see which is a, a motivational poster on a wall or, a, or an onboarding pack that people read on day one and then never go back to instead saying to people oh no no you, you can work whatever days you want but you are responsible for the results so make the choice wisely that says a lot more i think than um, than telling people that we are uh, a family or similar yes yeah <laughs> no that's that's cool i mean not just putting out the statement, but also living by that statement. Mm -hmm. It sounds mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And, 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 you know, you and I have probably both worked at a number of places where that isn't, there's, there's a statement on the wall and the reality of it is completely different. And it's really great to see that Tyke is, uh, is, is living to the words that they put on the wall. Well, we, so. we try to, and, and, and I think it's important because it's, this is something that founders have to do because there is no correct culture. There is no one culture that is better than all the others. It's a, it's situational, it's personal, it's something you create and you develop with your team. And so it should be a primary focus for a founder is what kind of culture do we want? What kind of business? Do I always want to be signing everything off because it gives me total control? Or do I never want to sign anything off? And do I want to have that level of trust in my people? And, you know, you, you've got to pick your own way through this. Right. Awesome. Well, let's move on from that and head over to some tips and tricks that you can give to other founders. I, I would love to hear something around fundraising because I know that I believe it was last year. Was it last year that you guys raised the Series B? Uh, just before year. that, it was, the, it, was the year, it was the year before, I think, 18 months ago, right. uh, we raised we raised a, a growth round, uh, a significant growth round, actually. Um, right. But, we, but, but initially, we started out as a, a bootstrap. The first, um, the first three years of Tyke's existence, we were a complete bootstrap. Um, we, we started an open source project, um, which is where the traction came from. Then we started as a side project. So my co-founder and I would work evenings and weekends, pitching to our first customers, securing our first contracts, getting a few, few customers onboarded and running and starting to generate some cash. And at that point, we realized, actually, we can, uh, we can, uh, we can quit our jobs and make this a full-time job. Uh, as long as we continue to deliver cash. And so uh, uh, first tip on fundraising is if you can be in a position where you don't need to fundraise, in other words, if you can generate cash, no matter how much cash, just some cash, that's a really powerful statement because uh, when all said and done, the, 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 the most critical factor in any business is do you have any cash? And telling people that you will have cash in the future if I can have some investment is a different pitch to Oh, we have cash, but we'd like your investment to get more cash. So that's a, I would often um, encourage folks to maybe think of the uh, fastest way to deliver cash and see if you could do that without raising funding. 
and then look at the funding round afterwards. It's easier said than done, but it's worth exploring because um, it's, uh, it fundamentally changes the relationship to fundraising if fundraising is an accelerator rather than a gate to, to reaching, um, reaching cash flow. And when you, when you were looking for those initial customers, so obviously early adopters can sometimes be hard to come by, kind of how, what, what kind of pattern were you looking for? Because obviously you wanted to get some cash coming in, you wanted to leave your current full-time jobs. So were you looking for larger contracts and fewer of them or lots of smaller contracts? Um, honestly, we didn't care. Okay. <laughs> the, 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 the key thing at the start um, is you're just trying to find that product market fit. And you may have an idea that our ideal customer is X, but until you've secured a few and worked with them and developed the relationship over time, you can't be sure. So actually our, our starting point was we went to the community of users that we built and were supporting on the open source who were paying nothing, but were using it. Um, and we just uh, scouted them out. We just contacted them, found out what they were doing, identified areas where actually a, our paid offering, which sat on top of the open source, might offer some value and set up some meetings. And in fact, our first few customers, um, I think our first few customers were a, a bank and uh, a very well-known uh, networking company who paid significant sums. Um, in parallel to that, we then signed up a few people who were paying 50 bucks a month. Um, and over the course of type, those those different profiles of customers have both been valuable to us and, and, and continue to be part of the, part of the mix. Um, so it, it, I think in the early days, you, you want to go broad, you want to go wide, you want to build as many relationships as possible, learn as much as you can, and then figure out which are the ideal customers. Because day, day one, any customer is ideal. Awesome. Now, that's great insights. Um, one last thing I want to ask you is, you know, if you had to recommend a book or a podcast or something to uh, a founder or aspiring founder, which would it be? Um, maybe one that you're reading right now or one that kind of started you off? It's usually a tough question, right? <laughs> um, yeah, look, I, 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 I occasionally uh, read kind of uh, business-focused books and strategy-focused books. And uh, um, uh, I think um, I, I hesitate to recommend any because there are so many out there and there are better people to recommend that than uh, me. Actually, what I'd recommend is it's useful as a founder to get some escapism. I'd, I'd recommend Exhalation by Ted Chang. It's an amazing book, uh, uh, collection of short stories, thought-provoking, gives you a mental workout that isn't related to sales or product development. Um, and of course, keeping uh, keeping diverse interests and, uh, and keeping a, a good um, uh, broad view of life is just as important as, as doubling down on the, the unit, unit economics of, of, of a business. So I'd, um, I'd recommend that as a, as a broad term thing. The, the only business book that uh, permanently sits by my, uh, by my uh, computer is uh, Good Strategy, Bad Strategy, um, which is a great primer for what is strategy and how is it misused and abused and has some really great case studies. So if someone's looking for a business-focused book, Good strategy, bad strategy is a great starting point. Um, otherwise, go to Ted Chang. He, he can uh, change your perspective on life in many ways. It's great. Awesome. Thank you so much for your recommendation. And uh, James, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. And uh, look forward to chatting with you in the future. If anyone wants to get a hold of you to chat more, um, where's the best place for them to find you? 
they'll, uh, they'll find me everywhere. LinkedIn, uh, find me at tyke.io. You can use the contact form there. Uh, you'll find me on LinkedIn as James Hurst. Uh, you'll find me on, uh, I may still be on Twitter. Are people still on Twitter? I don't know. At Hursties. Uh, you'll find me there. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining and we'll chat with you soon. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining this episode of From Vision to Venture. We appreciate you taking the time to listen and be a part of the audience here. If you found today's discussion intriguing, there's plenty more episodes to come. Stay in the loop, definitely subscribe, and we'd love if you'd leave us a rating or a comment on your platform of choice. Now to stay in the loop with Mosif, you can follow us on social media, which is at Mosif, M-O-E-S-I-F, HQ on all of your favorite platforms. Thanks again for joining and we hope to see you soon.